During our lifetime, many of us will experience a significant planned change. Whether it's moving or going away to college, starting a career or starting a family, we create goals for ourselves that often require us to enact change. Organizations also go through planned changes, which can be described as intentional and goal-oriented change in activities to adapt to changing environments. In this episode, we're joined by Deborah Brown, whose decades of experience as a leader in the medical laboratory field and through her own personal journey from Guyana, South America, to study and start a career in the United States, offers a first-hand view of goal-oriented change. During her 20-year career at Quest Diagnostics, she helped implement extensive transformational change in the organization through an employee engagement program. Deborah then moved to Abbott Toxicology in 2020, just as the United States was locking down in response to the emerging pandemic, this presenting her with a new challenge to rapidly transform the lab to process COVID test results. We'll discuss staying focused on your objectives, learning to adapt, and working with others to successfully implement organizational change. Deborah, welcome to our podcast series. Oh, thank you for having me, John. Thank you to NYIT and Deborah Cohen for making this possible. I am really excited about the opportunity to share with you and others um, a little bit about myself and hopefully it inspires someone. Excellent. We really appreciate you agreeing to be part of our series. To get started, why don't we tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I was born in Guyana, South America. I started my career back there in medical technology. Today, it's referred to as medical laboratory science. Always had a love for healthcare and wanted to be a part of a team that made a difference in people's lives, uh, health outcomes and that sort of thing. So I gravitated towards the lab, got started there at our our university and later moved to the United States, had an opportunity to, to attend Luther College in Decorah, Iowa to complete my education there. I've worked in several settings within healthcare, including hospitals and mostly reference labs. My last employer was Abbott, Abbott Labs. That is a little bit about myself. And again, as we get through this, you'll hear a little bit more about experiences and and thoughts throughout the conversation. Now, you, you got your master's at New York Institute of Technology. And, you know, as for many people that come to the university, we have many foreign students at NYIT. And their college experience, in many cases, is their first time living away from home. And I hope you don't mind, but I'll ask you about your experience in changing and adapting to a new culture here in the United States. Yeah, that's a great question. So I moved over here. It it was a great opportunity, and I suspect a lot of the students who are in attending NYIT from other countries are also taking advantage of an opportunity to make a difference in their lives and quite possibly in their families' lives. So my focus was really on being successful and how do I survive the change as opposed to so much thinking about what I left behind. I was very fortunate to be folded into a a family. I lived on a farm with a family while I was in college from the Ford dorms and that sort of thing. And so I was a little bit sheltered from the entire culture of the school. 
nonetheless, the change was quite significant. I was able to stay in touch with my family back home via calls and letters at the time that we, we did not have the opportunity to do a lot of instant messaging and this sort of thing. So calls were orchestrated, so to speak, scheduled, and not very often, but we were able to stay in touch. My advice to them is to be part of a community. We had at college network of international students, so there were a lot of opportunities to be part of those groups. Also, find a community within the, the disciplines in which you study. That is also quite helpful, as there are a lot of things that can be lost in translation, especially if you're from a very different culture than what you're experiencing at college. The other thing that I would say is be kind to yourself. Lean into what you might be feeling. There were times when I felt very homesick, which was funny because it was mostly in the summertime when the leaves were green and the, there was a nice light breeze out there and the sun was shining and not so much in the winter. In winter, I knew I was not at home, but in summer, <laughs> it was so familiar. And during that time, engage in things that might get you a little bit closer to home. Today, there are so many ways to stay connected that I did not have an opportunity with. There are also local families who might be from your area and may be open to hosting students. And so seeking those out would also be helpful. Obviously, it was an extreme change going from Guyana to, to Iowa. Iowa is a wonderful place. It's a significant cultural change, and then you sort of have to adapt to it. As a woman of color, and you're starting out your career early on, you had worked at Quest Diagnostics, I believe. And how was that for you in terms of seeing a different culture? Because here you were going into a culture that where not everyone was the same color as you. Not everyone, especially in terms of management, was a woman. Tell me about yeah. th that transition for you. So my transition to the workforce here in the United States, you know, Guyana was a British colony. So a lot of our norms are closer to the British norms than to the United States. So we tend to be a lot more formal than the U.S. So that was a huge difference for me, especially going into management, is being a little bit more, a lot more approachable, a lot less formal, so to speak. And so that was lesson number one. Within the lab itself, you're right, we didn't have a lot of female role models at the time. However, there were a few of them that were available, and I had the good fortune of working at a site where our general manager was a woman of color. And I actually had the opportunity to have conversations with her on a mentoring-type basis where we talked about a lot of things. One of my, my favorite questions at the time was, how do you juggle family and career? How did you get to this level in your career and manage your family at the time? Because at that time, I had three young kids and a husband and was trying to, to do just that, stay on my career path, as well as keep things going at home. So I did have a few role models that I could look up to, see myself reflected in. However, there were a lot of them, and certainly not folks from where I was from. 
So I chose, and, and you know, sometimes we have to make some decisions about how we're going to behave or how we react to certain circumstances we're faced with. Mm. My choice was to focus on what I needed to do to develop myself to become part of that team that I don't see myself represented in. And as opposed to feeling like I don't belong because I don't see myself represented there. So it's a subtle difference in approach. Yeah. Not allowing yourself to be intimidated by the fact that you're the only one there or you're the only one that looks like you or they've never seen or heard an opinion like yours before type of thing. I think that served me well. It was something that even, you know, as we, I saw it a lot at Luther College, actually. This was a small, rural farm community in Iowa where um, there weren't a lot of people of color around. And as they recruited students of color, most of them didn't stay because it, 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 it was really so different for them and, and it was difficult for them to adopt which was a shame because it was a very good school. And staying true to the mission really was one of my driving forces as well. Why am I here? Became the forefront of what kept me in position and what kept me moving forward. So really, so you had a vision for yourself. I'll let you get to exactly what that was and, and what was your vision. You know, we call that sort of an intentional change, right? We envision our ideal self, so to speak. And you develop a learning agenda. And what do I need to accomplish in order to get to my goal? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. One of the things that I felt was quite important for me, and it was almost like a mantra I held steady to, was always be ready for the next step. I didn't always know what that would be, but it meant learning as much as I could where I was, being as good as I could where I was, bringing value to the organization. So I really immersed myself in that sort of thing. I also wanted to make a difference in the community I served. And and when I say community, this Mm -hmm. is the organization, the people I worked with, the people that reported to me. I wanted to make a difference in their lives. And in order to do that, I needed to really be a part of decision-making, be a part of driving change that was needed, be a part of making a difference. So for me, that meant ensuring that I was doing the right thing in order to earn and keep my seat at the table, continue to bring value to the organization, and again, the people that depended on me, really, to represent them at those levels, discussions, as we make decisions and that sort of thing. That really was my goal, to just be able to make a difference where I was. You know, it's so important to have that goal or objective in mind. And there's an author, Katie Milkman, who wrote a book, How to Change. And one of the key revelations of one of her studies was our expectations shape our outcomes. We don't think of things Mm -hmm. as they may appear, but rather they're part of a stepping stone that get us to that larger goal. And so we look at things more than just a simple paycheck for a job. Instead, we look at it as a learning opportunity. Same thing in school. A good report card is great, but where does that advance you towards your career? 
I, and I think that's mm-hmm. sort of spot on to how you looked at, and I must say, you know, it almost sounds like how you look at life, right? You have certain aspirations and goals, and you look at things as opportunities to get closer to that. Yeah, that is very well put. I, it's interesting, across my career, I've been asked about career aspirations, and I've seen colleagues who really aspired to a certain title. For me, that was secondary mm-hmm. to doing something that inspired me, that motivated me, that made me feel alive and purposeful. And in doing so, the titles came. Right. It's fascinating. I think that's such a wonderful outlook. And one of the things that, yeah, that you were tasked with, and I remember you, know, you and I had briefly discussed it, was a time as a, a program director to drive transformation at Quest Labs. You we were asked to develop a culture of continuous improvement to transform the organization. So change is not just individually. You have an impact to change your organization. Could you talk about that a little bit and what that change was like? Yeah, that was one of the highlights of my career. If I had to point to one, it was amazing. And the reason why I was attracted to it, I personally felt that as an operations leader, there was a... Something missing from my toolkit. I did not think I did as good of a job as I could do in engaging employees, getting ideas from them, getting them excited about changing and designing the new. So when Crest Diagnostics decided to launch this initiative to drive engagement across the organization, mostly focused on the frontline employees, getting them to identify challenges within their workspace, Mm -hmm. as well as the solutions to those challenges. And then, of course, working with leaders to help upskill them as well so that they could also be able to approach their operations with this new and different mindset. I jumped at the opportunity because I felt like that would be the thing that I needed to make me a better operations leader. And it was really very inspirational. We worked with McKinsey Consulting Company to help to train us to manage the transformation. And it was a five-phase program approach where we went into sites, we engaged with, we identified change agents, from that site because we needed people who were known at the site who had some credibility and this sort of thing and identified change, identified opportunities to change, designed new processes to address those opportunities and then implemented it Mm. all with the employees engaged as we went along. As we did that, it was really rewarding to see people come forward and we we called it light bulb moments where, Mm. where folks would get it, so to speak, and understand the difference that it makes when you engage the people involved in the process in the way that we were trained to do so and help them and listen, really listen to them and help them to navigate through the various, what we call reactions to change. Some people call it resistance. There are specific phases, which we were also trained on identifying. Mm -hmm. Specific changes people in the workforce go through when they're faced with change. And the scope of the change would also determine how 
impactful it is on people's lives and a lot of times the severity of the resistance that you might come up against. But it was really eye-opening to see the difference it makes when managing change is an integral part of driving change. Managing the impact that change has on the people, it makes a really big difference in the outcome. Hmm. We know that 75% of big initiatives fail to deliver on the value that it was intended to deliver on when the concept was conceived. And so being able to identify what is the impact going to be on the staff if we change X and have we communicated effectively what that's going to be? Have we made provision for concerns? Have we addressed all of the issues that we need to address? Have we heard of all the issues we need to know about? Right. Um, right. Which would mean we need to involve the right people from the very beginning. So there was a lot of tools, a lot of training around the change management piece of that, which quite often organizations overlook. Right. The impact of change on people and ultimately run into some trouble with implementation. Yeah, it would seem to me that, you know, given your prior experience, especially the cultural change and geographic change that you went through, I would imagine that would have probably given you a good understanding of what sort of resistance or friction you might have come up against, <laughs> knowing in yourself that change is not easy for anyone. But it's all about creating a set of objectives and goals and engaging with people to understand what their needs are, how to make things easier, how to make the customer experience better. That's One of the things that's also important to note is that different people react to change differently. And so I think for me, I have a high tolerance to change. I welcome change. I get bored if, if there is significant <laughs> enough change in my life, right? Right. And so Laren, that that was one of the things that I did struggle with because I thought, well, if I were in these employee shoes, I would be so excited about doing things differently and improving what we're doing. But I did not see that from most people. So that was the value that having this training and this additional insight into people behavior right made a big difference in the efficacy of what we were doing you know and then after a career at quest you went on to abbott and you land there right as the u.s goes into a lockdown and you're responding to the to the covid pandemic and then that sort of forced you to create within that organization a set of protocols to deal with on a laboratory basis all of these tests that were coming in. Can you talk about that a little bit, please? Oh, yeah. So just as I got started with Abbott, the country pretty much went into probably the most restrictive phase of lockdown. Illinois was one of those that had some pretty stringent rules around going into office and that sort of thing. By the time I was in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, and the plan was for me to relocate to Illinois, we weren't allowed in the office, and one of my first assignments at Abbott was to stand up a COVID testing lab within our toxicology lab. The laboratorians out there may understand the complexity of that a little bit, because this was an environment where the staff did toxicology testing exclusively, and requirements were different 
for the technical personnel for clinical testing versus toxicology testing. So putting together a, and standing up a lab within the toxicology space remotely, being new to the organization was quite an interesting exercise that I engaged in. It was very rewarding bringing in several functional units within the organization to make this happen. We had to get a lab information system in place, equipment, isolation rooms, because we did the PCR, the molecular testing, as well as antibody testing. So we were dealing with infectious material and had to make sure that the environment was safe for employees, those involved in the actual testing, as well as those sharing the space. So there was a lot that went along with that to make sure that we did the right things. We did a lot of internal audits, um, brought in external consultants to ensure that we were indeed meeting the requirements of safely handling the material that we were handling. And then it was off to the races. We were able to get the lab stood up within a couple of months, which was phenomenal given the amount of work that we had to get done. And we were able to turnaround results within 24 to 48 hours, which at the time was really phenomenal in the country, as most labs were struggling with getting results within a week doing that type of testing. That's a classic example of that, which certainly was unplanned change. The pandemic came upon us. And then here you're tasked with something. Not only do you have to to create this entire new set of protocols and operational standards, but you have to do it within a very compressed time frame. It would take that mindset, as you described earlier, that you make that a challenge. You make that sort of that aspirational goal and you everything you need to do to get there. And that's uh, quite the experience, and it's hopefully it's one that, as a nation, as a world, we don't have to go through again anytime soon. Uh, so what advice do you have for students starting a career or for budding entrepreneurs out there? Yeah. Oh, I go back um, and I think of my young self and, and even where I am today and seeing people entering the job market, and there are a few thoughts around that that I have. First and foremost, I think anybody getting into the labor pool today, whether as an entrepreneur, as as in an organization, be positive. Be positive about your future. Be positive about where you're headed, about your talents. Just have that positive mindset. I think that goes a long way in ensuring that you are resilient and resourceful because those are things that you're going to absolutely need to be as you move through life. It's not always mountaintop experiences. Things do go off the rails sometimes. It's always how we react to it. Secondly, I think being principled, being grounded by your values, your core values, and, and sometimes this takes time to develop. And It was well into my career where I was exposed to opportunities to be reflective and truly understand, uh, and I'm still working on it in in some aspects, understand and discovering myself. Hmm. What fires me up? What are my values? What do I stand for? And then being able to align yourself with organizations that have the same core values. Get involved in organizations that are too far away from where your 
North Star is, it's going to be very difficult. So you'll find yourself compromising and, and may not be your best in that type of environment. It's interesting um, you brought up the aspect of understanding your values. Speaking in those terms is not something we would normally have questions for if somebody just entering school or finishing high school, as an example. It's something that I think you have to sort of like really reflect on. Yeah, and I tell you, this is spoken with a lot of years behind me, right? Right. Because you're right. Coming out of high school, it wasn't at the forefront of my mind, no, as you start reflecting, you will realize that you've got some core values, right? right? Mm-hmm. But defining them, honing them, really having it crystallized. You know, there was one point I would ask my myself and, and even some of the folks that work with me, what do you want your legacy to be, right? And that's right. A, another heavy question that takes some reflection. And are we working towards how we want to be remembered, the mark that we want to leave, in order to be intentional about that? We've got to do the work to define these things. Right. Interesting. I, and I, I think that's a, that's such an excellent point. As I was listening to you, I was thinking that you must have gone through those reflective periods. And I think for anyone listening in, we talk a lot about values and we oftentimes look at the organization and how does that fit with what I believe in? But have we really reflected on what I believe in? Am I standing behind my values? So I, I think that's an excellent point. Thank you for that. Deborah. What one word describes who you are? If I had to choose a word, I would choose resilience. Resilience. Because it encompasses so many things. And I think in order to be a leader of people, in order to be effective in industry, in the world, there's so much change that is happening. Some are positive, some are not so positive. We have to be able to react. We have to be able to learn from things that may not work out the way we intended them to work out or did not meet our success criteria. We have to be able to make shifts and changes. As you mentioned, some need to be transformational. Mm -hmm. Some might be really slow and insidious. Some may be planned. You've got time to get yourself prepared for it and others you don't. It's really, really important that we be able to position ourselves to be as resilient as we can be within life. Leaders have to have a way of looking past the issues and continuing to move forward. So I think the word resilience is such an important word, and we talk about that often, especially as it relates to entrepreneurs. Uh, Deborah, thank you so much for sharing your experience and insights. And again, thanks for being part of our podcast series. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you today. Thanks. Coming to the United States to attend college was a significant change in Deborah's life. Moving from her home in Guyana, South America, to a small college in Iowa, she had to adapt. And one way she found to ease the transition was to seek out others who were going through the same experience. She recommends joining groups or networks within your discipline of study in a way to create a new community for yourself. She talked about starting a career and recognized that there were few other women of color in her field. But she sought out role models and mentors to work with. At Quest Diagnostics, she jumped on an opportunity to be part of an employee engagement team to support significant organizational changes. Statistics tell us that about 75% of large-scale change initiatives fail to deliver the expected outcome. 
but she came to understand the importance of engaging with those impacted by business transformation to overcome the resistance you'll encounter. She talked about the importance of reflecting on your core values. It takes time for you to grasp, define what fires you up and what you stand for, and then align yourself with organizations and people that reflect your values. If not, you risk compromising your values, which is not the best environment for you. And Deborah said the one word that describes her is resilience. Be able to react when things don't go as planned. Learn from them and be able to adapt. Resilience is an essential attribute for any successful leader. Thanks to Deborah Brown for sharing her experiences and valuable insights. Okay, Brian, I hope that works. We'll talk soon. Thanks. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The interim dean of the School of Management and executive producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohen. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. And our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Professor Ellie Schwartz and Victoria Greco for all their support. Until next time.